Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hello, guys, and welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for September 28th through October 11th, 3rd Nephi 17 through 19, Behold, My Joy is Full. And if that time span from September 28th to October 11th seems like a big long time, it's actually two weeks because we have general conference in the middle of that. If you are new listening to the podcast, this happens like every April and October. Um, it seems like the podcast jumps like really far ahead because of that general conference weekend. But then I put out a general conference episode, and so everything goes back to being just about two weeks in advance. So just hold tight. It's going to seem like we're really far ahead, but it'll all work out in the end, right? So just just hang tight. I want to start off, though, by saying thank you to a couple of different people. We had some really sweet, wonderful reviews, like you guys bring me to tears every time I read these, from Emmy Meeks, Nicole W. Elliott, and then STGB1000. Thank you so much for your kind words, your lovely reviews on iTunes. If you like The Savior Said, go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people who are looking for Come Follow Me podcasts find The Savior Said. So um, I don't know why iTunes is the metric that all the search engines use, but iTunes is it. So thank you so much for listening. And guys, I also have to say... Thank you so much for putting up with me like the last couple episodes. I feel like I've gotten really whiny and really just focused on my anxiety and what was going on in my life. And I thank you guys so much for sticking with me through that. Um, I know that a lot of us right now are struggling with anxiety. Um, I joke that when the pandemic hit and the virus hit and COVID and quarantine and all that stuff hit, I traded my regular everyday anxiety in for like fancy pandemic anxiety. <laughs> so... I just want you to know that your Heavenly Father loves you if you are struggling with mental illness, and two of the best tools that He has given us for struggling with mental illness is to seek the help of mental professionals, mental health care professionals, like therapists and psychiatrists, which leads me to the second tool that He's given us, which is medication. Sometimes we need medication, and I have to say, they put me on a new medication for anti-anxiety, and I think that it is really helping me out. Um, It's interesting because both my therapist and the psychiatrist that I've seen recently have said that they have had a crazy upsurge in the amount of patients that they are seeing, and it's due to all the stress that we are all under as a result of the pandemic and the stresses that it's placing on our lives and on our families. So if you find yourself in a place where you're like, something is wrong, I really need to talk to someone, please make that phone call, find a therapist in your area, go out and talk to that therapist. Therapy is usually a really good spot to start because they can say, hey, you may need some a little bit of medication to help you out as you go through this or whatever, and they can refer you then to a psychiatrist who can help you out. So um, 
I've just had several conversations with people recently where they've said, I really think I need to talk to someone. And the answer is always yes. I think all of us could use a therapist at some point. So that's me getting off my soapbox and getting ready to start the episode. I just wanted to put that out there. Um, if there's anybody struggling with anxiety or depression, no shame to get help. It's the two best tools your Heavenly Father's given us, um, mental health professionals and also medication. So go find it. All right. This week we have a beautiful section of the scriptures. Um, and it was, again, it was something after the craziness of the past couple of weeks, I just needed a breath of fresh air. And I feel almost like this was like after climbing through the mountains, like I came over the mountaintop and I just found like a beautiful valley and that this week's reading was just a beautiful valley of scriptures. And I loved reading about Christ and his love that he so obviously had for these people. And I especially love the parts like in 17 where we see where he's like groaning inside of himself and saying, oh, I'm so troubled now for Israel because these people are, their faith is so strong. And um, we kind of get to see what goes on inside of Jesus's head a little bit. And so that's one of the things I really loved about this week's reading is, and I don't know how whoever was recording this, like was able to record the thoughts inside of Jesus's head, but we have that. And I think it's kind of a cool perspective to have. Um, I really enjoyed reading that. So Let's start, let's start though with the introduction. And it says, Jesus Christ had spent the day ministering in the land of Bountiful, teaching his gospel and giving the people a chance to see and feel the marks in his resurrected body and testifying that he was the promised savior. And now it was time for him to leave and he needed to return to his father. And he knew that the people needed time to ponder what he had taught. So promising to return the next day, he dismissed the multitude to their homes but no one left. They didn't say what they were feeling, but Jesus could sense it. They hoped he would tarry a little longer with them. He had other important things to do, but the opportunity to show compassion does not always come at a convenient time. So Jesus stayed with the people a little longer. What followed was perhaps the most tender example of ministering recorded in the scriptures. Those who were present could only say it was indescribable. Jesus himself summed up the impromptu spiritual outpouring with these simple words. Now behold, my joy is full. Okay, like I have goosebumps reading that. Think about that. These people had so much faith and love for Jesus that they gave him joy and not just joy, but like his joy. This is Christ's joy. He's describing his own feelings that his joy is full because of the people that he's interacting with. So when we choose to follow him, when we choose to have faith in him, when we choose to turn to him and to come to him and through him to our heavenly father, do we help his joy become full? Does Christ take joy in us and in the progress that we're making? I would say yes, that this is a huge evidence of that. Um, and I, I also feel like the spirit kind of confirming that as I'm talking about it, that when we choose the right, when we come unto him, that his joy is full because we are taking hold of that atonement and we're using it to what we're supposed to do. We're using it to the the purpose that he gave his life for, um, to come close to him and to our heavenly father. So yeah, his joy is full. I, I don't know. I just really liked, again, like all good, warm, fuzzy feelings this week. I really liked it. Okay. The first section in Come Follow Me is the Savior is my perfect example of ministering. Okay. So I want to pause here. Um, I've got a little caveat I want to throw out there. So ministering, let's talk about ministering and let's even like rewind. Let's talk about visiting teaching. So 
I am the world's worst visiting teacher, like the world's worst. You need to know this. Um, in fact, I kind of fought against like the whole visiting teaching setup because I was like, it's so contrived and like these people have to be your friends and I don't want visiting teachers coming over to my house and pretending to like me and I don't want a visiting teaching crowd and I don't want to pretend to be someone's friend, you know, like this is me saying all these things, right? For years, years, it was bad. And then ministering came out and I'm like, hmm. I'm a little suspicious. This smells like visiting teaching. It's just maybe in a nicer package. And then over the course of the last, you know, year or so, I think a more natural and organic way of ministering has come about. Um, specifically in our stake, I know we are really encouraged to minister to those who are in like our circle of influence, like with our calling. For example, you know, being in the stake primary presidency, we minister to each other there in the presidency, but we also turn and we minister to our primary presidencies that we, you know, have charge over. And then they turn and they minister to their primary teachers and the primary teachers can then go and minister to the children. So I think about that as we're talking about our savior is the perfect example of ministering, because I think about all those years where I fought against visiting teaching. But now I go and I read these chapters and I'm like, oh, Heavenly Father, please forgive me for my awful attitude because I see the beauty of what it can be. And I see how Christ did it so perfectly. And yet through his ministrations, what he did here to these people, you know, there will be children along the lines that will be born and families that will grow that weren't here right when he was visiting them, right? But they will still feel the impact of his love and of his time with these people because of their efforts to minister to their children and to the other families. So Christ ministers to those who are originally there. They turn, they minister to others, and they turn and they minister to others until it's like this beautiful flower of just like people ministering exponentially to each other till we've covered the world, basically. Um, and so that was one of the things I was thinking of is I'm like, ministering is really, truly as beautiful in its natural and organic form. And what better example do we have of natural and organic ministering than Christ here visiting the Nephites? And that's what the section in Come Follow Me talks about. It says, we know that there was about 2,500 people who experienced Christ's first visit, as recorded in 3 Nephi 11 through 18. Yet the Savior found a way to minister to them one by one. What do you learn about ministering from the Savior's example in this chapter? What needs did he minister to and ponder how his example can help you minister to others? Well, I talked a little bit about how his example can help me, but um, here are some of the things that I like underlined with the subjects and the scriptures this week. So we're in chapter 17. And the first thing that kind of came to my mind is in verses one through five, he's doing the kind of like the little dance, like my time is at hand. I know that you guys are weak. You can't understand everything. You're still processing it. I think you need to go home and rest for a bit. You can ponder stuff. I'll go back to my heavenly father. I got stuff I got to do. And then we can come back together. And in five, it says, and it came to pass that when Jesus had thus spoken, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude and beheld that they were in tears and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And to me, that shows that he was so in tune with what those who were listening to him were feeling. And he was so in tune with their emotions. You know, I'm sure he, you know, because I say supernatural and I don't want you to think like supernatural, woo, but like supernatural, like he is part of the Godhead 
Like he has those kind of supernatural powers. So I'm sure that he knew, you know, what was going on in their minds because of that. But we as human beings, when we are ministering with people, I think it's important for us to look at body language, to look at the unspoken things that the person is telling us, you know, in between the lines. It's really easy to say, hey, sister so-and-so, how are things going? Oh, I'm fine. And you look and you see maybe some wrinkles around her eyes, you know, some bags that were there that weren't there previously. Or maybe you, you notice that, you know, her kids look a little bit frazzled because they've been fighting or something like that. And that's worn her out. Or you just start noticing those little things. And it they're clues that tell you how you personally need to minister to that person. And I think it's so easy for us. And when I say us, I mean, I'm like talking about me, like, (laughs) of course, um, because everything's about me, don't you know? But no, I think in general, it's so easy for us to overlook like some of those little signs that people kind of give off that they're in distress, that we are like, oh, you're doing good. Great. So glad to hear it. I don't have to make time out of my day to come take care of you. Whereas, you know, we could do something, give them a kind word, give them a little you know, encouragement, just go out of our way for five minutes to make that person's life better. And Christ was able to do that for the Nephites because he looked and he listened and he saw what they weren't saying. So how many times when we're ministering, do we pause and stop and look and see what's not being said? And, you know, I said, of course he knows this because he's part of God and he's the Godhead and, you know, he, he knew that. But you know what else? We have part of the Godhead with us. We have the Holy Ghost. And when we're ministering to people, the Holy Ghost is with us. And it can pick up some of the stuff that's not being said. There have definitely been times where I've felt like I need to reach out to people. And I don't know why, but then they'll say, oh my gosh, like I totally needed you to reach out to me for this one thing or another. And there have been times where I felt like I needed to reach out to people and I didn't. And I regretted it. And I never knew why. I was, you know, supposed to reach out to that person and um, it helped me learn the next time that I just didn't need to ignore that prompting, you know? Okay, so Jesus is looking out. He's reading between the lines what the people are saying and they want him to stay with him. Also, something I thought about is how different is this from the scene in Jerusalem where they are so desperate to get rid of him that they are literally willing to kill him? You know, like this is a totally different scene from what he has just left, you know, Um, totally different welcome, totally different atmosphere. So I see why he would be really touched, you know. Okay, going on into six and seven, this is where he starts to heal the sick and he heals both the sick and then he has the children brought before him. So what that tells me about ministering is that. We need to look after like those who I would say weak, but uh, weak isn't really quite the the right word, you know, because children, they're not weak, but they're like the most innocent among us. They need the most protection, I would say. And then those who are sick not are not necessarily weak, but if they have a need that needs to be fulfilled. And so we need to look for those among us who have the greatest need. I guess, and then find ways that we can help fill that need. Um, I especially love in seven that, you know, he lists the different things like lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous or that are withered or that are deaf or that here, here is like all other duties as assigned, you know, that you get in jobs, but this is that are afflicted in any other manner. 
And we don't have to deal so much with leprosy, right? But we do have to deal with various other afflictions that we have just brought on by our society. And he says, bring them hither and I will heal them for I have compassion upon you and my bowels are filled with mercy. That to me, that's something that's not just applying to the Nephites. I will heal them and I have compassion upon you and my bowels are filled with mercy for you. You who is listening right now, he feels the same way about you. And he goes through and he heals the sick. He blesses them anyone who's afflicted in any manner, and he did heal them every one as they were brought forth unto him. And they did all, both when those who had been healed and those who were whole bowed down at his feet and did worship him. And as many as could come for the multitude did kiss his feet, insomuch that they did bathe his feet with their tears. And then, then he commands the little children to be brought up. He commanded that their little children should be brought. So they brought their little children and they set them down on the ground round about him. I bet they were all sitting crisscross applesauce. And Jesus stood in the middle and the multitude gave way till they had all been brought unto him. Um, You know, this reminds me again of my calling in primary. Like that right there is, you know, our calling is to help primary presidencies, primary teachers, and their callings are to help parents and families bring children unto Christ. You know, this here in verse 12 is what the whole primary program is about. Bring children unto Christ. That's our goal, you know? And if we can help them have these, help them have these moments where they feel like they're sitting, you know, with the spirit of Christ in their life and they feel the comfort of having that with them, that's something that will last them for the rest of their lives. So that reminded me of that. Okay, and then in 14, this is one of those moments where we kind of like see what's going on inside of Jesus's head. And he says, Father, I'm troubled because of the wickedness of the people of the house of Israel. And it says Jesus groaned within himself. And when he had said these words, he himself also knelt upon the earth and he prayed unto the Father. And the things which he prayed cannot be written. And the multitude did bear record who heard him. Then we go down to 20. And it says, after he's done praying, they arose from the earth and he said unto them, blessed are ye because of your faith. And now behold, my joy is full. And when he said these words, he wept. Okay. Jesus wept. We read that all the time in the New Testament and we reference it, but this is different weeping. This is Jesus weeping because he's so like so much joy that he has for these people and the choices that they've made. Now, Never mind. This is not like the people who were super righteous and like made it to, you know, where Jesus was visiting. Keep in mind that this was like the most righteous of like the worst. Like this was the, I guess, the least evil of the evil, right? The society had gotten so wicked that these were the people who were like the least bad. And they still were able to have the faith that when he came, he was so overwhelmed by their faith and by their commitment to him and to his gospel that he literally wept. So no matter where you are in your life, I'm pretty sure none of you are part of Gadiant and Robber gangs. But if you are, you know, turn away from them. But, you know, I don't think any of us have sunk to that level. So we have a chance to reach out to him and his, everyone has a chance. Even the Gadiant and Robbers had a chance if they really wanted it to reach out to him. And he, you know, reaches back to us and he's so joyful when we come to him. And we hear it read again in 22. And when he had done this again, he wept again. Um, this is after he went and blessed their little children one by one. 
And he spake unto the multitude, and he said unto them, Behold your little ones. And then the angels come down, and, you know, the angels rejoice. Everyone sings. It's all good. So that's what I saw in that chapter about ministering, that he took the time in a time where he had other stuff he needed to be doing, but he decided to stay with these people who needed him. He read between the lines. He looked for the places where they were weakest to help shore them up and to make them strong points um, in their spiritual journey. And then he just took so much joy out of the service that he gave to these people. And that was just, it was just a really good scene. I guess it really painted a really nice scene, a really pretty picture, but also it just gave me like lots of insight, I think, into what was going on in his mind and how we can like transpose that onto what goes on in our lives when we come into him. So that's what I got for that section. Okay, so the next section I've been thinking a lot about this week. Um, it says, the Savior taught us how to pray. And that's not the part that I've been thinking incredibly about, although I've been thinking a lot about prayer. But it asks the question, imagine what it would be like to hear the Savior pray for you. What might he say in your behalf? And that's a question I had been pondering upon a lot this week. You know, if Christ could pray to my Father in heaven for me, what would he say? And we saw him pray in 3 Nephi 19 for the people there. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But what would he pray specifically for me? And the thing that I keep coming back to over and over again is something that we studied in our Come Follow Me materials last year. It's in the New Testament. It's Luke ten forty one. And to refresh your memory, this is where Christ goes to visit Mary and Martha, right? And he's there in Mary and Martha's home. And Martha is really busy getting the meal ready and taking care of all the things. And Mary is sitting at his feet listening to him. And he turns to Martha and says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. And one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And so when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, what would my Savior pray for me? And that is the verse that came to my mind is I think he would say, Father, Lexi is careful and troubled about many things because I am. I'm very careful about things, and I am troubled about many things because I am troubled about things that could be happening. I trouble about things that could be happening in the future, years down the road, you know. So not only am I worrying about the worries of the day, but I'm worrying about so many ifs and what ifs and, you know, that's anxiety, right? But we're getting better with that. So that is what I think he would praise. Like Lexi is careful and troubled about many things. Help her find peace. Help her find the ability to be still and know that you are God. And so I was thinking, you know what? That's a prayer that I can pray for myself. You know, I'm, I know, Father, that I'm careful and I'm troubled about many things. Help me to be still and know that you are God. Help me to be able to, in the middle of whatever chaos I've got going on, take a moment and breathe and feel you in my life. Take you in and just help me to know that you're there. And that's actually something I've been praying a lot this week is help me to see your hand in my life. Help me to see you moving in my life and the pieces that you're moving together because I know you are. I saw a video on Facebook this week. It was a really cute video. It was done, I think it may have been done by some missionaries, but it showed like day one was this guy and a bunch of bad things happened to him. Like his girlfriend broke up with him and I forget what else happened. Like he 
just had a really bad day. And so he gets home and he prays, you know, before he goes to sleep and he says, Heavenly Father, aren't you there? Or why don't you love me? Or something to that effect, right? Guys, I'm being very vague because I'm like having a hard time remembering the exact video. I wish I could go find it. I need to go find it. So then there is day two and he wakes up after, you know, sleeping and praying this prayer. And all of a sudden he looks at his phone and there's a text message from his mom that says, hey, sweetie, how are you doing? I'm just wondering about you, thinking about you, love you, you know, all that stuff. So he puts it down. He kind of throws his phone down or whatever and gets up and he starts walking out of his apartment and there's a picture of Christ right? As he's like getting ready to close his door and he's walking along and there's like some guy that like holds the door open for him and is kind to him and somebody else that smiles at him. And it's a beautiful sunny day and he gets home and he's like, Heavenly Father, where were you? Because he was not focusing on the signs. And that really made a huge impact on me. I'm like, Heavenly Father, how many times do I go through my days blind? to the blessings and the ways that you are in my life, the very fabric of my life that I'm living every day. How many times do I overlook his hand in my life? And so that was one of my prayers this week too, is help me, my eyes to be open, to see the ways you've blessed me. And I think he did. I think that there were several ways where he kind of showed me, hey, this is me. This is me, you know, talking to you and showing you different things. And so that was one of the, things that I got out of that particular section of Come Follow Me. Another thing it asks is, what blessings from prayer have you seen in your life? Well, obviously, you know, I saw many ways that he he's blessed my life. But I was thinking specifically this week about that. And, you know, one of the things our family is trying to decide right now, my husband really wants a truck. And so he's been truck shopping, right? Well, he found this truck that he thinks is perfect and amazing. And we went to go test drive it. And I was like, you know what? There are several things I'm just, I don't feel I like about this truck. I I just don't think it's right. But I also know that if I were to tell him straight out, he would be like, no, it's a great truck. I love this truck. And so I knew it was one of those things like that he was going to have to come to that realization like on his own. And so as I'm, you know, praying one morning, I'm realizing, you know, yes, he's left the church. My husband's left the church, but he was baptized and he was given the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Yes, he may not welcome the Holy Ghost in his life, but he still has that gift with him, even if he does not choose to honor it. I mean, the Holy Ghost is still there and can still influence him. And so I said my prayer to Heavenly Father, I was like, Heavenly Father, help influence him with the gift of the Holy Ghost that he will know what he needs to do about this truck. And I'm like, you know, maybe he does need to buy this truck. Maybe he doesn't need to buy this truck. I don't know, Heavenly Father, it's up to you. Influence him the way that you would have us go as a family. You know, is this truck yes or no? And so, like, he has been, like, gung-ho on trucks for, like, months now. He's been talking about buying buying these trucks or a truck. And so I get to work that day after saying that prayer kind of in the car on the way there, you know, praying, please let the Holy Ghost be in his life. Help it to influence him, especially, you know, towards this this question of whether we should buy the truck or not. And so I text him because he was supposed to go talk to the guys about the truck at his lunch break. And so I was like, hey, how did the, you know, talking about the truck go? And he's like, yeah, I didn't go. I said, what? What? Why would, why would you not go? You have been so excited about this for like months. Why would you not go talk to them about this truck that you really want? And he said, yeah, I've talked myself out of it. And I'm like, hmm. 
you talked yourself out of it? Or was there a little bit of the Holy Ghost in there working on the way you think, talking yourself out of it? I didn't tell him that. That's just what I was thinking. And, you know, it kind of went on from there that I could tell, like, his thought pattern completely changed. And I can't explain it any other way except for my Heavenly Father being involved somehow and answering my prayer that that truck just wasn't right for our family at this time. And he kind of, I guess, used the Holy Ghost to influence my husband. And so that was a blessing from prayer that I saw in my life. Also something I realized that was really interesting about prayer this week was in 3rd Nephi 19. I want to talk to talk about it a little bit because we know we pray to Heavenly Father in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, it's almost like a letter. I like to think about prayer as like a letter where we start out, Dear Heavenly Father, you know, that's like our address to Him. And then the postage stamp is at the end when we say, In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. You know, like that's what sends our letter to our Father in Heaven. Can you tell I work with children? <laughs> like this is how, this is how like my mind works. I'm like, this is how you explain it. It's a letter. Um, so I've always known that we pray to our Heavenly Father in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, something interesting happens in 3 Nephi 19, and I'm not really sure what's happening at this point. This is going to be one of those things like when I get to the other side that I'm like, I'm going to be so fascinated to find out like, what was what was the purpose of this? Like, how did this go down? Like, I need answers, right? So one of the things that happens in 3rd Nephi 19, I'm going to start in 18. And just to back up a little bit, 17, let's start at 17. And it came to pass that when they had all knelt down upon the earth, he, being Jesus, commanded his disciples that they should pray. 18. And behold, they began to pray, and they did pray unto Jesus, calling him their Lord and their God. And it came to pass that Jesus departed out of the midst of them and went a little way off from them and bowed himself to the earth and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast given the Holy Ghost unto these whom I have chosen, and it is because of their belief in me that I have chosen them out of the world. And he prays that they will get the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to fast forward. Here you go. And 24. And it came to pass that when Jesus had thus prayed unto the Father, he came unto his disciples, and behold, they did still continue without ceasing to pray unto him. And they did not multiply many words, for it was given unto them what they should pray. And they were filled with desire. And it came to pass, this is 25, that Jesus blessed them as they did pray unto him. And his countenance did smile upon them, and the light of his countenance did shine upon them. And behold, they were as white as the countenance and also the garments of Jesus. And behold, the whiteness thereof did exceed all the whiteness. Yea, there could be nothing upon earth so white as the whiteness thereof. And Jesus said unto them, 26, Pray on. Nevertheless, they did not cease to pray. And then he turns and he goes off again and he prays. He prays for them three different times as they are praying unto him. He doesn't seem to have a problem with them praying unto him. And, you know, every, everywhere where we're commanded to pray, we're commanded to pray unto our Father in his name. So this is something totally different that I have never seen before. And I'm not really sure what was happening at this point. Maybe they were praying unto God is in like the Godhead and Christ was the representative of the Godhead at that point. Maybe they were using the word pray in this particular situation as praise. You know, they were reverencing and showing so much faith and praise for their Savior. 
Whatever they were doing at this point, Christ was happy with. Like, he blessed them. He prayed unto the Father for them. He was amazed at their faith. And so it was an okay thing, obviously, that happened. So it's one of those things where I'm like, I know that this is not how necessarily it's supposed to happen, but it happened this way, and it seemed like it was a good thing. So I kind of want to know the backstory of that when I get to the other side. So that's going to be one of the questions that I ask when I get to the other side. I'm like, how how did life, like, what, what was going down in this, this situation? It's not life or death. Like, it's not going to change anything. It's just, I'm curious and I want to know. So that is the prayer section. But now not only do we have prayer this week, we also have the sacrament. And this is something I thought about You know, when you visit someone, like say you're coming in from out of town to a certain city and you've got, you know, a friend there in the city, you want to prioritize your visit. Like these are the places I want to visit. These are the things I want to do. Boom, boom, boom. These are my priorities. Well, Christ is coming to visit the Nephites and he sits down and he says, okay, so these are my priorities. He teaches them, you know, the commandments. We talked about the Beatitudes, part two that he gave here, you know, to the Nephites in America. He gives them the ability to baptize and he gives them the Holy Ghost. He teaches them how to pray and then he gives them the sacrament. So what does that tell us about what our priorities need to be in our lives? Okay. We need to follow his commandments, be baptized, use the Holy Ghost. We need to pray and we also need to take the sacrament. And that's the next section in Come Follow Me is I can be spiritually filled as I partake of the sacrament. And it says, as you read 3 Nephi 18, 1 through 12, ponder how taking the sacrament can help you to be spiritually filled. And I like paused right there because I was like, okay, do I really understand the sacrament? Like I love the sacrament. You know, I am like the biggest fan of the sacrament probably out there. Like I, I'm a huge fan of the sacrament. I believe firmly in the power of it, but I was like, there's always room to understand it a little bit more deeply. And so I went and I found a couple of quotes that helped me kind of understand a little bit more about it. And this is from Joseph Fielding Smith. It's from the teachings of the presidents of the church, page 100 of Joseph Fielding Smith about the sacrament. He says, I wish we could get the members of the church to understand more clearly the covenants they make when they partake of the sacrament at our sacrament meetings. It is our duty to carefully and thoughtfully consider the nature of the sacrament prayers when we hear them offered in our meetings. There are four very important things we covenant to do each time we partake of these emblems, and in partaking, there is the token that we subscribe fully to the obligations, and thus they become binding on us. Number one, we eat in remembrance of the body of Christ, promising that we will always remember his wounded body slain upon the cross. Okay, so this is Lexi, not not Joseph Fielding Smith, but number one is that we promise that we will always remember his sacrifice on the cross for us because him dying means that we have new life. We will always remember that sacrifice. Two, We drink in remembrance of the blood which was shed for the sins of the world, which atoned for the transgression of Adam, which frees us from our own sins on the condition of true repentance. So, Lexi, not Joseph Fielding Smith, this is Lexi right now. So, we remember his sacrifice and the atonement. And when we remember the atonement, we use it in our own lives. We apply it to our own lives and to the sins that we've created, but that he is taking upon him. Three. Back to Joseph Fielding Smith. We covenant that we will be willing to take upon us the name of the Son 
and always remember him. And keeping this covenant, we promise that we will be called by his name and never do anything that would bring shame or reproach upon that name. Pause. So interesting to me is that in two, we remember his atonement where he takes our sins upon him. And then three, we covenant that we will be willing to take his name upon us. His name covers us in that atonement and that we will be called by his name. I just think that's so interesting, like the exchange that happens there. We give him our sins and he gives us grace and his name. And so we have to represent that name to the very best of our abilities. And when we take the sacrament, we are promising to do that. Okay. Joseph Fielding Smith continues in four. We covenant that we will keep his commandments, which he has given us, not one commandment, but that we will be willing to live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. So all the commandments, you know, we don't just get to choose a favorite commandment, but we will actually follow all the commandments. Joseph Fielding Smith says, if we will do these things, then we are promised the continual guidance of the Holy Ghost. What a great promise that is. And, you know, there's other promises also woven there into the sacramental prayers, if you listen, but that, you know, when we remember him, he remembers us. That's, he always remembers us. But when we remember him, the covenant that we make kind of holds us to to him and holds us tight to him. I just, I believe that there's such power in taking the sacrament and the binding that happens when we, you know, renew that covenant. And when we do renew that covenant, the covenant that we're renewing is our baptismal covenant. And Bruce R. McConkie has a quote about this. He says, baptism is for the remission of sins. Those who are baptized worthily have their sins remitted because of the shedding of the blood of Christ. Their garments are washed in the blood of the lamb. When they thereafter partake worthily of the sacrament, they renew the covenant made in the waters of baptism. The two covenants are the same. So when you partake of the sacrament, it's just like you just got baptized again. And I remember thinking that that was a difficult like concept for me to kind of grasp, especially when I was younger. Um, for some reason, I thought baptism was so much more cleansing than the sacrament. Like, I literally remember when I was younger, looking at the baptismal font in the church and, like, kind of staring down at, like, the tiles and stuff and wondering, like, I wonder what kind of cleaner they use in here. Because if all the people's sins who come in here, they're baptized and they're washed away, like, there must be lots of sins at the bottom of this baptismal font. So I wonder what kind of cleaner they use to get the sin, you know, like, this is, like, the way that my brain worked at the time. So... Like, I literally believed in the power of baptism, wiping all of our sins away, like so powerful. But then, you know, I was like, oh, we go and we take the sacrament. And I guess it's just so commonplace versus like the one time in your life that you get baptized. But then weekly we go and we take the sacrament. I didn't realize until I was much older the power of the sacrament, that it has the same thing to wash our sins all away, right? And we can be just as clean from the sacrament, as we are the moment that we step out of the waters of baptism. Like, that's hugely powerful. And we renew those covenants every time we take the sacrament. And Jesus felt it was so important that the sacrament was given to these Nephites, that it was part of his itinerary when he came to visit them. It was one of the last things he did, but it was important enough that he gave it to them. He also gave it to the Jews before he left too. So if something is that important to our Savior, Don't you think we probably ought to pay attention 
I think we probably we probably should. So I know in my own personal life, I'm going to try and do a better job of reverencing the sacrament every week and just making it a little bit more special and sacred in, in my life. Okay, the next section in Come Follow Me, we're going to just touch on it briefly. It says, Disciples of Jesus Christ seek the gift of the Holy Ghost. Think about a prayer you said recently. What do your prayers teach you about you and your deepest desires? Well, we talked a little bit about that already. After spending a day in the presence of the Savior, the multitude did pray for that which they most desired, which was the gift of the Holy Ghost. As you read these passages, ponder your own desire for the companionship of the Holy Ghost. And what do you learn about seeking the companionship of the Holy Ghost? Um, I thought about how I need the Holy Ghost in my life. You know, we talked a little bit about how my prayer this week was to see the way that God moves in my life and to see his hand in my life. And one of the best ways to do that is to have the Holy Ghost kind of with you and lighting up your eyes like, oh, look, that was a hand of God moment. Oh, look at this. This is the way your heavenly father has blessed you. Oh, look at this. Look at this over here. And the Holy Ghost can really bring those things to our attention. I also think sometimes one of the things I've been praying this week is heavenly father, help me to know what you want me to ask for. Help me to know what blessings you want me to ask for and help the Holy Ghost inspire me to know what to ask for. And that's been a really interesting prayer too. I think it was because of that prayer that I came up with the whole thing of like, help the Holy Ghost influence my husband with this whole truck thing that he had going on. So that was just interesting to me that the Holy Ghost is invited into our lives when we seek him. So we have to have the Holy Ghost invited into our life. We have to seek the Holy Ghost to have him there with us. I don't know. I don't know if that's, that makes sense or not, but that's kind of what I thought. One more section I wanted to touch on was at the bottom. Okay, yeah. It says, 3 Nephi 18, 25, 19 through 1 through 3. What has our family experienced through the gospel that we wish everyone around us could also experience? And how can we follow the example of the people in these verses and labor exceedingly to bring others to Christ that they too might feel and see what we have found in the gospel? So one of the things that I was thinking that I have experienced through the gospel that I wish everyone around me could also experience is feeling the love of my Savior. And the love that he has for me, because when I feel that love, I feel like I can do anything. I feel like I can reach out to anyone. I feel peace and I feel, you know, just complete. Now, I don't always feel that way because, you know, there's life and life is real and it's not always peaceful or complete. But that is something I'm like, I need to labor exceedingly to bring others to Christ that they too might feel and see. In my own personal home, I labor exceedingly that my husband and my son might have the spirit to feel complete and feel that peace of Christ. You know, I don't know, that may sound silly, but then I go in and I read in 3 Nephi at the very beginning, it says in, this is verse 1, 3 Nephi chapter 19, verse 1, And it came to pass that when Jesus had ascended unto heaven, the multitude did disperse, and every man did take his wife and children and return to his own home. Two, and it was noised abroad among the people immediately before it was yet dark that the multitude had seen Jesus and that he had ministered unto them and he would also show himself on the morrow unto the multitude. Three, yea, and even all night it was noised abroad concerning Jesus. Insomuch did they send forth unto the people that there were many, yea, an exceedingly great number did labor exceedingly all that night that they might be on the morrow in the place where Jesus should show himself unto the multitude. So there that tells me 
that there were some people who were not there when Jesus was there talking to the multitude. There were obviously people who did not get to see this visit. And so those who were there then turned around and worked really hard to get their brethren to come the next day to see Christ. So we, as people who have found Christ, who have felt his peace and his love and his completeness in our life, need to turn around and work with those who aren't there with us and get them to come with us tomorrow to see Christ. You know, reach out to our brethren and say, hey, he's here. You know, part of me is like, Jesus was there and they didn't even go like, you know, they had all these tempests and whirlwinds and like crazy destruction. And then they heard the voice and like, they really didn't go. But then I think about, you know, my husband again, he's had the gospel of Jesus Christ in his life and he's seen the effect of the Holy Ghost on his life, but he still chose, chose, chose to walk away from the church. This gives me hope though, that he can come back that through you know, the example or whatever that I set through the gifts of the Holy Ghost in our lives, influencing our lives, helping us feel that peace and that love and that completeness that we can bring him back to that love and that peace and that completeness of the Savior and bring him back to the Savior. And that's my hope is that for all of us who know what feeling the love of the Savior is like, that we can turn and find those who maybe once have known it and walked away, or maybe those who don't know it at all, and bring them back to the multitude on the morrow, just like these Nephites did. And so that's the thought I'm going to leave you with this week. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you have an excellent week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram comments or question, email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.